Hello, friends. It's your old pal, Ariel Helwani, back with another edition of the Wednesday Helwani Show. And as you know, there is so much drama going on in mixed martial arts these days. We talked about that with DC on Monday. We'll be talking about one of the participants in said drama on today's program, Dustin the Diamond Poirier. So stay tuned for that. But first, I want to tell you about something very cool that the great Katie Nolan did this past Tuesday night. She hosted a virtual live edition of her own podcast entitled Sports with a question mark. It was in front of a jam-packed Zoom audience. I hear it was a massive hit. I'm going to check it out later today. And it actually reminds me a little bit of what we did back in July prior to UFC 251. We had our own little VIP Zoom sesh with the fans. And I hear via TST himself that another one of those might be happening in the not too distant future. So stay tuned for that. For now though, today's edition of the Helwani Show contains some language that may not be suitable for all audiences. So listener discretion is advised. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Ariel Helwani's M-M-A Back in your life on this Wednesday, October 14th, 2020. Hello again, everyone. I hope you're doing well. It's another edition of the Helwani Show in your ears, and we got a lot to get to with a lot of interesting people on today's show. Later on, we will be talking to Joaquin Buckley. By now, you know who Joaquin Buckley is, and if you don't know him by name, surely you have seen what he did this past Saturday. One of the all-time great knockouts in the history of the sport, that incredible spinning back kick. Never seen anything like it. Was it the greatest of all time? I don't know athletically it probably was stakes wise maybe not but i'm fascinated by this guy and how this one kick has changed his life by the way if you woke up on wednesday you probably saw that kanye west uh put together like a music video to the kick that's how big this thing has gone so we'll talk about the kick how he pulled it off how his life has changed his day job at walgreens and how tyron woodley snubbed him yes tyron woodley himself we'll also talk to the man who won in the main event this past saturday Corey Sanhagen. We'll talk about his incredible knockout of Marlon Marais calling out TJ Dillashaw, where he goes from here, his roller coaster year, all that stuff and more. But first, we need to talk to Dustin Poirier. Dustin Poirier has been in the news, dating back to when he was supposed to fight Tony Ferguson at UFC 254. Now, last week, we got Ferguson's side of the story, why this fight isn't happening. This week, we get Poirier's side of the story, in case you missed it all. And you probably haven't, but just as a quick refresher, it was supposed to be Poirier versus Ferguson in the co-main event of UFC 254. It was supposed to be a sort of backup fight to the main event, Khabib Nurmagomedov versus Justin Gaethje. Basically, the deal was if Khabib had to pull out, Poirier would get the title shot against Gaethje. They have a history, Poirier beat Gaethje a couple years ago. If Gaethje pulled out, Ferguson would get the title shot against Khabib. Obviously, they have their own history, but... Couldn't come to terms with Poirier. They sign Michael Chandler, the UFC. They go to Ferguson. They say, hey, you want to find Michael Chandler? He says, nah, I want Poirier. And oh, by the way, I want more money as well. They go back to Poirier. They offer him Michael Chandler. He says, no, I want more money too. That's why I didn't take the Ferguson fight. And then basically we're left with Chandler being the backup fighter against no one. Since then, this back and forth with Conor McGregor, who beat Dustin Poirier six years ago at UFC 178, many moons ago, develops online they try to put together this charity match ufc says hold up you ain't doing no charity match you're gonna fight under our roof in our octagon on january 23rd connor last week agrees to it says oh by the way i'll also donate five hundred thousand dollars to the good fight foundation but he says i want the fight to happen in 2020 ufc says no we want the fight to happen in 2021 all kinds of games being played poirier's on the outside looking in wondering what's going on And oh, by the way, as we sit here today, UFC is still standing firm. They want the fight January 23rd. They already have two title fights on November 21st. That, of course, Davison Figueredo defending his flyweight title against Alex Perez and Valentina Shevchenko defending her flyweight title against Jennifer Maya. They have one title fight on December 12th. That's the last pay-per-view of 2020. Amanda Nunes versus Megan Anderson for the 
women's featherweight title. They had a second, Kamara Usman versus Gilbert Burns. And now all of a sudden, we have a situation where Corey Sanhagen wins on Saturday. And now that opens the door for Aljamain Sterling. And I'm hearing as of now, they're moving in the direction of Piotr Jan versus Aljamain Sterling on December 12th. Not a done deal, but this is what they're talking about. So we may end up with two title fights on December 12th. And we may end up with UFC saying, hey, Connor, take it or leave it. So that's where we stand right now. It's an evolving situation. It's a fluid situation, but it's a fascinating situation. And we'll see who ultimately wins out. For now, though, here's my conversation with Dustin Poirier on what happened with the Ferguson fight, what's going on with the McGregor fight, and how he feels a little disrespected by the UFC. Enjoy. All right, let's start things off today with one of the most talked about men in mixed martial arts. I have been bothering this man for several weeks now. I've been trying to get him on the program. He has uh, eluded me like he, uh, like he does in a fight, eluding those punches. But we have finally located El Diamante himself, Dustin Poirier, kind enough to join us with that fantastic shirt that I was just complimenting. He looks amazing. You got the beard. You got the hair. You got the shirt. You got everything going on, Dustin. Look at this. Amazing. Good to see you again. Thank you. Thanks, man. But one thing I don't have is a fight, Ariel. I have the shirt. I have the hair. My beard is finally starting to grow in. I got a couple patches, but I think I'm becoming a man, but I don't have a fight. Okay. Well, we will get into that. Um, I actually, I actually want to start chronologically. Um, the last time we spoke, it was after the hooker fight. And we talked about what could be next. And you were talking about, yeah, you, 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 know, you want big fights. You want to get paid, all that stuff. And then we started to hear about Tony Ferguson coming together. After I spoke to Tony, he signaled uh, his intentions to, to, to fight you and interest in fighting you. And then it seemed like it was going to happen on the Habib Gaethje fight, which made all the sense in the world as a potential number one contender, replacement situation, all that. The bottom line is, why aren't you fighting in less than two weeks against Tony Ferguson in Abu Dhabi? What went wrong there? Uh, me and the UFC couldn't agree uh, on some terms, basically what it comes down to. How far apart were you? I don't, I don't think far at all. Really? So this could have been salvaged, in your opinion? Yeah. Why wasn't it? I, I, don't, I have no clue, man. I, I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. So I, I recall that you actually went to Florida to train for this fight for this date, October 24th, right? Yeah. How frustrating was it to train in the midst of all this and then eventually have to go back home? It was good because, you know, I get kind of uh, not complacent, but when I'm back home, training's good, but it's not like it is at American Top Team. So to keep things fresh and to keep me on top of my game, I normally come out. If I have a long break between fights, I'll come out to Florida and do a couple weeks here and there anyway. It's just that when I came for that specific time period, I brought my family and I thought I was going to be doing a camp. And I did a few weeks of camp preparing to fight Tony. Um, based on what they were offering to you, did you take it personally? Like, were you insulted by the offer or did you feel like, okay, this just isn't what I want, but like we can get to a certain point where this all makes sense for everyone? Yeah, that's what I thought was going to happen. Um, but it didn't. I thought that we would end up making a deal and I was go to Abu Dhabi and fight. Um, also in the midst of all of this, obviously people are asking Dana White about the questions and about the state of the fight, um, all kinds of questions. And, and at one point he insinuated that you didn't want the fight, basically saying there are certain ways to say no to a fight, you know, outpricing yourself is one way. Uh, and your fans took offense to that given your track record and your history. How did you feel about what he said? You know, I, uh, Dana knows that I text him days before he even said that, that I text him and said, Hey, I love this matchup. I want this fight. Uh, you know, I would never take a picture and post it or anything like that, but I text him. He has the text message. I know he does. And I'm, I'm not sure why he said that. Did he reply? No. Ghosted so, me, man. Ghost. So man, you're Dustin Poirier, not DP. even a DP. Does that bother Unbelievable. you? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Nah, man, it's, it's like you said, I, I don't get emotional anymore. I'm not a young kid. I've been in the game a long time, and this is business. When you found out that after they couldn't come to terms with you and they went to Tony and offered him Michael Chandler, who has yet to fight in the UFC, what did you think of that? I thought, uh, great, you know, another talented guy in the lightweight division. Maybe Tony will take it. You know, it was out of my hands when they did that. But 
it was back in my hands when they came back and they offered me Chandler. I guess Tony turned it down and, and they offered me Chandler. Um, but I had already had plans in motion going back home. And also I, uh, I wanted to be paid more. So were they offering you the same to fight Tony as they were to fight Michael Chandler? Yeah. And that was just a non-starter, right? Well, dude, you know, I, I would never count another man's money. Uh, I hope Chandler makes a ton of money in the UFC. But the fact that I've been in the UFC for 10 years, um, fight of the year contenders over and over again, what I think eight main events, two pay-per-view main events. And, uh, you know, the guy's going to come in here and make more money than me. I understand it's business, but if you want me to fight that guy, you know, you gotta, we gotta step it up. You know, that's a slap in the face. I've, I've shed too much blood in the octagon and, uh, that's just my, that's just where I'm coming from. Maybe it doesn't make sense to you, but I've, I've bled too much to, to, to be disrespected. For the record, it makes total sense to me. Um, and, and I think most people would agree with that. Um, if presented the same amount of money and you're happy with it, which just curious before we get to all the stuff happening right now, which one actually interested you more, the Tony fight or the Chandler fight? Tony, for sure. How come? Just because I feel like it's another huge name uh, to add to my legacy. Another top 10 established proven UFC fighter. You know, I, I have some great wins on my record over guys. Who've been in the top ten for a long time, former world champions, and I think adding Tony to that list, you know, he's a former interim UFC world champion. That's another champion under my belt that I beat, another UFC champion. So that was important to me. Mm. Um, and when you found out that not only are they bringing Chandler in and the money and all that, but also that he's like the backup fighter for the title fight, what did you think of that? I mean, I, I, dude, I'm not the matchmaker. I don't call the shots. I'm a fan of the sport. Obviously, I know who Michael Chandler is. Good, good for him. You know, maybe the guy's pays his, paid his dues and, and here's his opportunity if somebody falls out. It's out of, like I said, it's out of my hands. I, I'm not, I don't beat myself up over positions that other guys have fought themselves in. You know, he, he's a great fighter and uh, that's the UFC's call. So then shortly after that, um, it seems like that ship has sailed and they're just kind of sticking with Chandler as the backup fighter. Habib Gaethje are going to fight on October 24th. Then all of a sudden, around two weeks ago, something develops online with you and Conor McGregor where he writes to you offering you an opportunity to have this boxing sparring match in Dublin for charity. When he threw this out to you, did you think it was a real thing? Like, Were you just kind of going along with it or did a part of you think like, yeah, I could pull this off. We can make this happen. I thought it was real when he, when he reached out. Um, but he wanted to do MMA. I, I thought it was going to be boxing or something. He wanted to do like an MMA sparring, uh, exhibitions, you know, I think three fives or something like that and, and broadcast it. What's crazy is NBC sports. I think it, yeah, NBC sports reached out to me and an agency I work with. They wanted the TV rights to it. They started moving as soon as he said that. And I said, let's do it. People started reaching out for streaming platforms and it was crazy, man. The yeah. guy's got, yeah, the guy's, He's got some uh, eyes on him for sure. Yeah, of course. I mean, I'm not surprised by that at all. Um, but then it seemed like obviously the UFC caught wind of this and, and their line of thinking was, well, we have two UFC fighters, you know, fighting in a quote unquote charity sparring. Like we're just going to have this fight under our umbrella and our octagon. So then it seemed like they were interested in making this fight happen and offered it to Conor McGregor. Have you been offered this fight? No, I haven't formally been offered anything. What do you make of that? I think they, that the Connors side of the deal might be the, the tougher part to get done. And once that's done, they, they might come to me. I don't know, man. They know I want to fight. They know I want to fight this year, whether it's Connor, whether it's Tony, uh, they know I want to fight. man. But considering how, you know, the last opportunity kind of fell by the wayside because of the fact that you guys weren't on the same page contractually, it's not, correct me if I'm wrong, it's not going to be like, hey, Dustin, you're fighting Connor on X date let's go, right? Like there's going to have to be some negotiations involved, correct? Well, the dates that are open um, that we were looking at, I think was November, end of November, which is a short time mm -hmm. or, or December, which would be a, a full training camp. Um, I don't think it's going to be like in the next two weeks or anything like that. Other than, other than that, I think the time frame makes sense, you know? 
six well, to eight weeks or so. I just mean about your pay. Um, we got to, you know, whenever they, they call, then we'll talk about that. Okay. So, so Connor is pushing, it seems like for a fight in 2020, right? They've offered him January 23rd, but it seems like he'd prefer to fight on either the November 21st card or the December 12th pay-per-view, or maybe just create a new pay-per-view form, which they did at the beginning of the year. I don't think that's an option right now. If you had your way, if it was up to you, which date is most ideal? The 12th, the 19th, if they create a new date on the 19th, or I think they have a card, then maybe turn that into a pay-per-view, whatever they do. And December would be great because I'm already here in Florida. I'm back out here training. It would give me enough time uh, to prepare for, for that style of fight. But like I said, I'm here training. I don't have an opponent. So I'm, I'm just training, trying to get better, working on, on my skills, not specifically for an individual, just overall game. But I want to fight. I think December makes sense. Why did you decide to go back to Florida again without a set thing? Because the Connor talks were kind of, well, not with me in the UFC, but online. It was starting to heat up and things were starting to look like, you know, I saw Connor bringing in his coaches and, and starting to train. And also Tony's out there. I saw his interview he did with you. He wants to fight. Something's coming. I, I, I know. I got a pretty good intuition. Mm. I, I haven't been wrong about things like that in the past. Whenever I fought Max Holloway for the interim belt, I didn't have a fight, but I came to Florida and started working, and then the fight came together. So I just know that I want to fight again this year. There's two guys who want to fight again this year that makes sense at the top of the division. So let's work. I asked you earlier between Chandler and Ferguson who you prefer. Uh, you said Ferguson. So between Ferguson and Connor, who do you prefer? Obviously, Connor's a bigger fight. I think for sure, I know more eyes would be on that one. Uh, I think it would be more money involved. And a win over Connor just keeps my career trajectory upward. I think a title fight after that, no telling what. You know, I think a win over Connor is it's a bigger fight. By the way, is there any possibility in your mind? And and again, I know they haven't called you, but like is there any chance this happens at 170? I would love it. Really? I'll, Why? I'll sign the contract right now at 170. Because it's less, it's less uh, stress on my body. I don't have to cut as much weight. You know, I'm not a small 55er. Okay. Uh, but obviously you would do it at 55 as well. Yeah. Um, I'll fight Tony or Connor at 170. Okay, interesting. Do you think... But, that- but see, things, things like that don't make sense for the division, right? If I'm the number two guy, Connor's coming in. He wants to be active. He wants to, to fight for the title again. If we fight at 170, does that hold its weight at the, in the lightweight division? I don't know. Right. Uh, do you think by the time your career is done, you will end your days fighting as a welterweight because, as you say, you're a little bit bigger and, and the cuts are getting tougher as you get older? We'll see. I, I'm 31 years old now. Uh, my last couple fights were tough, but nothing too crazy. It's just the, the amount of time before. If I can have a full camp, then I can do it properly. But if it's a short notice thing, man, it's tough. I cut weight hard. You know, everybody kind of loses weight differently. Uh, I got some, you know, I hold on to weight. Mm-hmm. Um, also part of the initial talks as far as this charity match is concerned, and now it has, you know, it has come over to the actual fight is the fact that he said that he would donate $500,000 to the Good Fight Foundation, your your charity, along with your wife. Um, what did you make of that? And is there any part of you that doesn't believe that he will do this? Uh, not at all. I think if he says that, he'll do it. And, uh you know, he's got the whiskey money, man. That's not a 500K is not a big deal to a whiskey money guy. What would you do with that money? What would the charity do with that money? So it, it, a goal of mine with the charity that we haven't moved on yet because we need uh, big funding would be to, to open a gym on the part of, in the side of town that I grew up on and have a youth combat club there, boxing, mm-hmm. mixed martial arts, jiu-jitsu, uh, just something to get the kids off the streets and, and somewhere to go after school. And uh, the tuition would be good grades or improvement in grades. We would have some kind of standard and hold, hold the children and the youth accountable for themselves and give them a place to train and, and, and an opportunity to, to, you know, me personally, combat sports has changed my life, not just financially, but uh, just my, my outlook on life, uh, the respect I have, a lot of things. It's, it's, good for, it's good for kids on that side of town uh, who might be in some tough situations to, to get involved. And would the 500 cover that? I think 
Louisiana, you know, property and, and renting out a, a warehouse or doing something like that is, is it's not crazy expensive out there. 500K would cover it for a couple of years. That way I can get the lights on, get the overhead covered, and then get a instructor to come in, you know, in boxing and instructor in kickboxing and maybe a jiu-jitsu instructor to come in on a set schedule. And, you know, all those things would have to be addressed if it all happens. I don't want to start going too far ahead. Sure. But we'll, we'll cross the T's and dot the I's if, if it does proceed and we get the donation and the fight happens. And you talk about your evolution, how combat sports has helped you. I can't help but think about the fact that you and Connor have obviously fought before six years ago. And I'm wondering, I mean, you've come a long way just from what we know of you, but the guy sitting here in front of me today compared to the guy who fought Connor at UFC 170, like there was so much bad blood going into that fight and trash talk and back and forth. Uh, you look dramatically different, like your hair, is, everything is different. What's the biggest difference internally? It's a shame, it's a shame that I shaved my head all those years, dude. <laughs> I know because I know your hair is a very. Oh, this is this is good stuff. It is good. It is. It's what do you call it? Salon hair? Is that what you salon, call it? It's salon quality. That's right. That's right. Um, what is the biggest difference other than the hair between this Dustin Poirier and the one six years ago? I'm more patient. You know, I think uh, being a father has taught me a lot of patience and and just maturity in the sport. You know, I don't know how many fights I've had since that fight, but I've learned a lot of lessons. You know. I've, took some L's after that. I've, I've got a lot of W's. They were all lessons. I'm a better fighter, more well-rounded, more patient, more mature. And, and I think back then I was a kid, you know, I was a young man fighting at the highest level and, and a lot more emotional when it comes to fighting. It's business to me now. And I, I know who I am. I know my skills. I trust in my work ethic. I trust in my skill set. And, and that's just it. I think before doubt and critics and Connor talking all that shit just kind of creeped into my, into my being. But now I know who I am. Um, and, you know, knowing who you are and, and, and not letting other people affect you, like, it's so crazy. You know, he was calling you pee head and all that stuff and you were getting fired up. Now there's like this mutual respect between you guys. Like, it's all very nice and cordial. How did this happen? You know, Ariel, on the other hand, Connor has matured. I'm not saying he, if, the, if we get a fight, I'm sure he's going to talk some trash. Right. But, uh, you know, he's a father now. He's matured too as a fighter and as a human being. And uh, that's, that's just life. That's what's going on here. Mm. Uh, when's the last time you watched that fight? I've seen highlights, but actually watched the, the, from start to finish. I don't know, man. Probably the, the year it happened. Wow. Uh, and, and I would imagine considering who he you know, became and everything – that's probably a fight that when it was all said and done, you would have liked to get back or like this. Maybe you didn't think it was going to happen now and it didn't seem like we were going down that path, but I would imagine the Connor fight was one that you always wanted to avenge. Correct. Yeah. Every loss on my record, I want to revenge. Mm -hmm. uh, but Connor, you know, rising to the superstar worldwide known guy that he is. I always thought about it, that it could be a possibility one day and it might be. Is there any part of you that is concerned that like you're kind of being used as a pawn in all of this stuff? Um, and you know, you're, you're not being told what's going like, is there any part of you that is thinking like, okay, what exactly, what exactly is my role in all of this? Where do I actually stand? Not, not really. I think that this is, you know, legit. I think that Connor wants to fight and here's an opportunity to fight a guy who's number two in the division. If, if his goal is to be the world champion, this fight, Makes a lot of sense, right? Mm -hmm. Tony's coming off of a loss. I'm coming off of a fight of the year contender win. I'm at the top of the division. Who who else would he fight? Uh, I have to ask you about something Nathan Diaz tweeted on Tuesday afternoon. He said, uh, "Let's don't get it twisted already. I smoked. I already smoked these two. Now they play fighting." And he was referring to you and and Connor. Yeah, he beat Connor. He ain't beat me. It seems to me like he thinks he beat you in some, in some way. Bro, he can get it too. I'll fight him too, at 170. Right. Why did he he throws out that like you kind of backed out of that one and all that stuff? Uh, we've gone over this many times before, but in his, I guess, in the the Diaz world, he views that as a W. Um, and so you know, here he is commenting on the <laughs> commenting on the fight. Does that annoy you? No, I don't live in the Diaz world. I live in reality. And if he wants to fight, let's go. I'll slap him up. 
Okay. So there's a lot of options out there. And I, pro- I know you said like, hey, you know, you're trying to start a war between me and my boss. I, I genuinely am not. I hope you believe that. But the part that kind of blows my mind out of all of this is that no one has called you. How is that possible? Like, how are you not being kept the breath? Na- you're one of the most talked about fighters right now in the news cycle. And no one's like, hey, sit tight. I got something for you. We'll talk. Like, you're not getting any kind of communication whatsoever from anyone. Not even, I'm not even talking about Dana. I'm talking about matchmakers, something. No. Hunter, Sean, Dana, nobody, dude. I'm sitting here working, hoping to get a call every day. It's coming. Uh, something will come. They're going to need me at some point. And that doesn't irk you at all. It kind of does, but the work's not being done at Bain. Whether I have a fight or not, I need to be improving. I need to be evolving. And that's what I'm doing, man. Mm-hmm. I feel like the, the biggest leaps in, in my skills over the last few years have been between fights. Because when you get a fight that I'm prepping and, and getting ready for a specific date and an opponent and their fighting style, when I'm doing what I'm doing now, I'm just evolving. I'm having fun. I get to work on things that I've been wanting to work on you know, get put in bad positions and just tr- try to become a better fighter. And I enjoy that part of martial arts. Mm. Um, and, and of course, and I know we talked about it a few months ago, but now we're less than two weeks away, Habib and Gaethje fighting. What is your official take on that fight? Your official prediction? Who wins? Because you know them very well. You beat Justin Gaethje. And of course you fought uh, Habib a little over a year, year ago. What do you think happens? I think uh, Khabib wins. I, I really do. Justin he can surprise me, but it's just, you know, I was in there. It's so hard to get your footwork going on a guy like Khabib who just bull rushes and puts you against the fence and his, his skill level against the fences. You know, I've said it over and over again. It's something I've never felt before. His understanding of balance, the way he uses his trips and his weight distribution is hard to explain to somebody who doesn't, who's never been pressed up against the fence in a mm-hmm. combat scenario. But the guy's good. If Justin can use his footwork, use his wrestling in the open, I think Justin might be able to wrestle him in the open. But against the fence, I, I don't think so. So key is to not not get up against the fence, right? Keep the fight in the center of the octagon for Justin. Yeah, 100%. I think open mat wrestling, you know, Justin's credentials and Justin's experience there will keep him up. If he keeps him up, and considering his striking and his power, do you foresee any scenario where he can catch him? Oh, of course. Of course. If Khabib, wow. slows, if, if Khabib slows down and starts taking shots in the open and starts failing on shots, um, Justin making him get back up, Justin Khabib trying to build up or uh, go up to the body lock and Justin making his Khabib's arms tired, you know, that's big trouble in a five-round fight with a guy like Justin who can crack. If you can offer him any, any advice, especially for the first round, like how to set the tone, what would you say? Establish a good jab and, and get your footwork going. Mm-hmm. And protect your neck. <laughs> uh, may, maybe go for a, a jumping guillotine or, or no? Well, that's a given. We don't even, that's, <laughs> that goes without saying. That's right. Um, and and uh, just curious, okay, so the official pick is uh, Habib. Um, and perhaps, you know, we'll see what happens after that. And, and you fight Connor, maybe you're back in line in, in the Habib world next year if he sticks around. Uh, you, uh, you like to say stay hydrated on, on social media. What does that mean? Like, where does that come from? Or is it just simply make sure you stay hydrated? Just stay hydrated. It's good for you. Stay hydrated. Stay optimistic. Smile more. Don't talk to yourself like that. These are all things that I, that I, I repeat every day. What do you mean, don't talk to yourself like that? Any negativity. Anything. I mean, we all talk to ourselves in our, in our head. We all have that subconscious. And anything negative, I just got to check myself sometimes. Hey, hey, don't talk, to me. don't talk to me like that. Wow, okay. I, I do it in fighting. I do it in sparring and training all the time. Do you say it out loud or do you say it internally? Sometimes. Uh, I say it internally most of the time, but my wife's heard me say it before. Wow. That is fat. I've, ne- I've, uh, I've never heard anyone say that to themselves. Hey, today, when a negative thought comes across your mind, do me a favor, Ariel. <laughs> stay hydrated and just tell yourself, hey, don't talk to me like that. Okay. I like that. I, I could stand to, uh, to incorporate that in my life. Uh, also, who came up with El Diamante? I like El Diamante. I like this, uh, this moniker. Who came up with that? I appreciate it. I just, it started happening at the gym, you know, uh, I can't say the diamond in Portuguese, but Portuguese guys at the gym will call me the diamond. And then just being in boxing gyms and stuff like that, it just kind of started happening. Okay. Um, overall, how would you describe 2020 for you? Man, uh, for everyone, it's been, it's been, it's been a crazy year. I got a good win. You know, I had a fun performance. Uh, I just want to stay busy. 
a lot of this year's been been trying on me mentally more than physically, man. It's just spinning my wheels for for the fight with Tony. Now I'm back in Florida training again without a fight, just staying uh, patient. This is going to, this is a, a growth year for me, a mental, a mental growth. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you, you rebounded from the loss. I would imagine you thought you were going to fight at least more than once, right? Yeah. And, I, and you know, that, that win was really big for me because I was coming off a long layoff yeah. with a, a very serious surgery and the, my rehab and strength and conditioning and just structurally getting my hip feeling well again and then doing a training camp and getting the win was really you know it, it felt good um historically and, and i'll let you go in just a couple of minutes again i appreciate the time historically have you been a tough negotiator no dude i, I don't know how many fights i have with the ufc 27 with zufa 27 maybe 28 i don't know never i've never pushed back once and i'm still not pushing back i'm just trying to get a fair shake man i'm 31 years old i have a family i'm uh i'm currently about to start building my my home for my family in Louisiana. And uh, I'm at the top of the game. And I just want to be treated as if. Was there a point where you started to realize like, hey, maybe I should push back? Like, Because I think your reputation is you're the nice guy, the company guy who steps up, who delivers. But at some point, like you have to have something to show for it all. Was there a moment where you were like, maybe I need to be a little tougher? The You know, the, the sideline with the hip surgery kind of, that was another mental thing for me, man. Being sidelined, not being able to put weight on my leg at all for eight weeks. I was just on the couch watching guys train, watching fights, breaking down fights, uh, just doing a bunch of mental reps. And, and I, you know, a couple of nights sitting down at home thinking, you know, what if I, what if something like this happens and I can never fight again? You know, that's every fight could be your last fight. We don't know. So when I do go out there, I just want to be compensated. I promise you. I'm going to leave it all out there every time. I'm always working on my skill set. I'm one of the best in the world for a reason. I'm one of the best uh, at learning, bouncing back. And I just think it's time, you know, time to be paid. So in conclusion, what's the message here? What do you want people to know about what you're going through right now? That I haven't, I'm, I'm still here. I'm working every day. <laughs> I, just, I just got back from the gym. I'm, I'm, I'm having fun. I still love what I do. I'm just trying to, you know, and I'm not saying I'm, I, it would be great to make enough money to never have to work again, but I just want to put my family in a position, put my daughter in a position, build this home, and, and, and like you said, have something to show for it. I've, I've been with the company 10 years, and I'm just, uh, and I have a lot of time left. Like I said before, I, I don't, I still have a lot of tread on these tires. Man. I think I have a lot of really good fights ahead of me. I just want to be, I don't, no, again, no disrespect to Michael Chandler. I want him to make more money. But when I see things like that happen, guys come in from a different organization and make more money than me. I'm happy for them. But at the same time, I have to look myself in the mirror and, and know that every fight could be my last. I, I want to I wanna set my family up. And in your heart of hearts, who's your next opponent? Who do you think it ends up being? I think the Connor fight comes together. I really do. In 2020 or 2021? That's the thing, Ariel. Uh, I don't know. If yeah. Con- I, that's the thing. I mean, it, I, I believe I would have a contract right now if Connor would say, hey, sure, I'll fight in 2021. I would right. probably have a contract in the email uh, account right now. But he wants to fight in 2020. I'm a, one thing's for sure, I, I'm going to fight again this year. Because if the UFC says, hey, Connor, take it or leave it, and he leaves it, somebody's going to get it. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's your goal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I've never fought once in the calendar year since I started fighting in 2006 or 2007. I've wow. always been very, very busy. But even if they say to you, like January 23rd, 23 days after the new year, you can get the biggest money fight, Connor. But you know that means you're only fighting once in 2020. You're taking someone else in December? Nah, I don't know about all that. <laughs> I might have to backtrack on that. We'll see. They haven't offered that yet, Ariel. So. Sure. All right. Well, uh, stay confident, stay sane. I appreciate stay you talking. Stay hydrated as well. Yes. Wow. I just walked right into that one. Uh, <laughs> and I appreciate you talking to us. And uh, I'm sorry, you know, genuinely, I'm sorry that you are going through this. Um, and I think a lot of fans would, would echo that sentiment, especially since you're healthy and ready to go. And we could be getting ready to be watching you fight in less than two weeks. Um, Dude, I, I'm, I'm getting better. The work's not being done in vain, whether there's a fight or not. I'm getting better. I'm having fun. I'm motivated. 
I'm healthy. All good. All right. Well, thank you, Dustin. Good luck to you. And uh, if you can, uh, you've been doing a good job of keeping us posted on social media. So please continue to do so. Will do, man. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right. Now let's turn our attention to last weekend's card in Abu Dhabi. We're talking now to the man who was victorious against Marlon Rice. What a fight. What a finish by the skinny pale white guy from Colorado who has a little gangsta in him as well, the one and only Corey Sanhagen. Corey, congratulations on the win. Thanks a lot, Ariel. I'm obviously really happy about it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you, you look very happy. Uh, maybe a little tired as well. You've been through many time zones uh, from Abu Dhabi back home to Colorado. Um, first things first, though, I, I did stumble upon something that I wanted to ask you about that I think has flown under the radar. Uh, did you suffer an eye injury in the fight? Because I noticed that they gave you a very long uh, medical suspension. I think 180 days or something like that. What, what happened? Yeah. Well, actually, I just heard that this morning, too, uh, when my roommate was telling me or asked me about it, too. Um, I, I, it's going to be shorter than that when I get it cleared. But, yes, um, so when I take, like, a really good shot sometimes, I don't know when it started happening, but uh, I think I, I, I must have hurt my orbital in one fight that I had, like, years ago. But sometimes when I get, like, hit good on, on the cheek, uh, I'll just get, like, a floater, you know? And uh, I think one of the spinning back fists that he hit me with hit me like right on the cheekbone. And I think it just created some pressure. So afterwards, I just had like a, a little bit of a floater in there. And uh, I just told them about it. And they were like, okay, uh, if it's still there at the end of all of your press stuff, then, then we'll be more concerned about it and get you an appointment and stuff. And then uh, at the end of the press thing, it was all, it, it was all gone. But I just, I just, you know, I, I probably should get it checked out though. But yeah, I think it's just a, a old thing where sometimes pressure gets in there. But uh, yeah, no, no big deal. Okay, uh, because yeah. I was expecting him to have the the eye suspension um, because of what you <laughs> said in the second round. You you seem to shout out that he broke his orbital. How could you tell? What made you feel that? Um, well, when I kicked him, uh, it started, I, it very quickly swelled up, but it kind of like just, and by very quickly, I mean like 10 seconds or so, but it started here and then it started going up like this and just like slowly over 10 seconds. And I was like, that, that kind of looks like when you break ice and the ice starts to break a little bit more like that, you know, uh, which obviously isn't the exact same thing, but I have hurt people's eyes in the past. And that's usually like typically what happens with the orbital break when, when the swelling starts to go like that, uh, at least in my experience, but more than anything, man, I thought that it would just be a good opportunity to get him to think about it. Like, uh, mm -hmm. I saw him kind of bounce around for a second after it happens. And I know that he was feeling the swelling too. Um, so I just wanted to, shout it out. I, I, I don't really know what I was thinking, who I was talking to really. Uh, <laughs> but, but I kind of knew like, Oh, if this guy thinks that his orbital is broken, maybe he'll be more cautious or maybe he'll fight a little bit different or, or whatever. And, uh, it was kind of like an impromptu thing. I, I wasn't going to go in and, and be verbally like, uh, talk, talk and stuff. But, uh, when I saw that opportunity, I was like, yeah, maybe he'll think it's broken and, and he'll take his foot off the gas or maybe the ref will think it's broken or maybe, uh, the corner, his corner will, will think it's broken or whatever, you know? So I didn't really know, but, uh, I wanted it in his head. 
Yeah. Uh, and I think it worked. I mean, it was, it was brilliant. It was actually one of the interesting byproducts of watching these fights in, in an empty arena. I don't know if we would have heard that if there was, you know, 15,000 fans there because shortly thereafter you did finish him. So I don't know if it, it helped or not, but certainly it got everyone thinking about it. Um, and, and you said afterwards that that move was something that you worked on during the quarantine. Would you say that like that sequence right there, most spectacular sequence of your fighting career? Like, have you ever hit anything as nice as that to lead to a finish? No, never. Uh, that was definitely one, uh, you know, like I, I needed that. Like I wanted, a, I, I wanted like a cool knockout on my resume. I, I haven't had any like real nasty knockouts on my, on my resume. And not that that was like a super nasty, violent one, but it was definitely one that was really cool and technical. And uh, I always joke with my buddies that like, I'm a really good striker, but I don't have any, any really nasty, uh, nasty knockout finishes. And uh, yeah, that was my first one. So I'm glad that I got to put that on the resume. What about this talk that it was an early stoppage? Is this craziness? What's going on here? Uh, it, seems a, uh, it seems a little crazy. Uh, not, I, I mean, I guess I get it, but I, I was going to keep going, you know, until he was done. And I think he was hurt and uh, it's not like he was challenging it right afterwards anyways. And uh, he was definitely hurt. You know, I, I don't really care too much if people think it was an early stoppage, I guess maybe there's a little bit of an argument, but uh, I'm not going to let it like yeah. make me feel any negative way about the way that I fought or anything. You certainly shouldn't. I feel like the only people who are saying it was an early stoppage are maybe people who bet on Marl Morales and are, <laughs> you know, uh, just upset that, that he lost. But um, to me, it was very clear cut and it was the right call. And you didn't even see him, uh, you know, argue about it afterwards, protest, etc. cetera. So um, very, very well deserved. And I loved afterwards, and I, and I wanted to ask you why you did this. Um, when they announced you as the winner, you held hands with your entire <laughs> corner. Is that something you've done before and I've just missed it? And uh, if not, why did you do it this time? No, I wanted to try it this time, uh, thinking that it wouldn't look as corny as it kind of looked. Uh, <laughs> it was great. I loved it. Yeah, uh, I thought it. I thought it was uh, maybe a cool idea that I kind of wanted to just try. And uh, I don't think my corners. I think my corners thought it was pretty corny, and they didn't <laughs> like it. <laughs> so I told them that was the last time they'll have to do it. But uh, wait, you, they, they like, gave you crap for it afterwards. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Carrington, <laughs> gave, Carrington Banks gave me a lot of crap for that afterwards. I was like, all right, all right, man, we won't make you do that again, dude. <laughs> Why did you want to do it? I just think it's like a, it's, it's such a team sport, man. And like, uh, I care a lot about, um, one of my favorite parts of fighting is, or at least of the winning part of fighting is, um, when I get to talk with my family afterwards and, and see how happy they all are. And then same with my coaches and my team, my team members. I like seeing that, like, I made them happy and like uh, uh, their hard work didn't really go in vain, you know, which I know isn't the case, but it it sometimes feels like that when you lose. So uh, it it was just to kind of incorporate them in the winning process too. You know, like I I don't like my coaches work really hard for me and, uh, and they don't get their hand raised. I do, you know, Mm -hmm. they're also the ones that don't have to fight, but uh, they're putting in, you know, a, a lot of hard work and I really appreciate it. And that was the gesture that I wanted to uh, pay homage to that, but I guess they didn't like it that much, but uh, you know, it was good. I liked it. Okay. It was a Thank nice you. gesture. Um, it's very rare to go from like a tough loss, like the one that you suffered against Aljo and then have to bounce back in a higher profile fight against a potentially bigger name, a guy who beat Aljamain Sterling. Right. Um, and you said all the right things and I thought it was fascinating, <clears throat> excuse me, to learn about your, your, uh, your mindset and the things that you were trying to change leading into this, uh, this fight against Marlon. But now that the entire week is done and the whole process is done, like on the night or the morning in Abu Dhabi, how were you feeling? Were, were you doubting yourself? Were you never, considering what happened last time around and this was such a big opportunity to right that wrong? How were you feeling in the hours leading up to it? Um, well, the whole trip, I was pretty locked in, you know, uh, I made sure that like, I, I wasn't letting my mind get soft at any point. Like I wasn't like, oh man, like, do I want to do this? Like, uh, oh man, cutting weight really sucks today. Or like, even as I was cutting weight, I was like, if me and this dude fought right now, I would win this fight. And I had that mentality the entire week. Uh, and I never let my head go soft. And, and it really paid off when I was in the back too, because I was in full war mode going into that fight. Um, I, I had never really experienced that level of intensity going into a fight before. 
I, I didn't know that I could uh, channel that in a way that would be that helpful for me. And I was in full war mode, you know, like I was ready for whatever was going to happen. I was going to beat this guy. Um, of course, there was nerves and doubts and all of that. But when I was in the back, there wasn't a single thought going through my head other than I'm, I'm taking this win. And uh, it even got a little bit, uh, it got really intense, you know. So, so I'm sure that you've had the experience of uh, having a thought and be like, whoa, that was kind of a weird thought. You know, like maybe you see someone rollerblading down the street and you're like, ah, I hope that person falls, you know, <laughs> just, like a, just like a little weird thought, you know. Yeah. Um, I had the experience where I was in the back and um, afterwards uh, someone came up to me and, and one of the press people and was like, ah, people are saying early stoppage, this and that. And the first thing that popped into my head was like, I was about to rip that guy's chest open and start eating his heart. You know, like that's where I was in my head. Like I was very intense and I was ready for like battle, you know? And I was like, Oh, that was kind of a weird thought that I've never had in my life before, you know? Um, so that's where I was, you know, like I was fully engaged. I was fully locked in, uh, in a place that I've never been before in a fight. And I think that I definitely really needed it, uh, to fight Marlon. Wow, that is fascinating to hear. So do you feel like you're going to be able to channel that energy every time you fight? Like, could you get back to that mindset? Or is it because of what happened in the Aljo fight? And now, like, in other words, it feels like a very intense process. Do you think you can replicate it each time out now? I mean, that's why I was able to replicate it on the fight night is because I had been practicing doing that uh, uh-huh. before all of my sparring sessions. I oh. think that a lot of people and myself included, uh, a lot of fighters go get in the back sometimes and they're just not feeling it that night. And uh, that happens all the time. And um, if you don't have experience with dealing with that, how you, how you going to just be able to do it? You think that you're just going to like, like you don't think that you're a human and you just like that those feelings aren't going to happen to you. And if you don't practice it, you're not going to be able to take yourself away from that. Like that's not a thing, you know, like in order to get good at things, you have to practice things. And uh, I practiced a lot in my training camp of I didn't care how I was feeling and sparring. Uh, I was going in and I was going to make myself intense and I was going to do well at that sparring session. And I practiced that headspace over and over and over and over again, every single time, even when I didn't want to. And, uh, and it paid off for me. Ah, I love it. Um, yeah. All right. So afterwards uh, you had two phenomenal call outs. Uh, personally, I think the TJ one is super interesting uh, because we've sort of forgotten about him and he's ready to come back in January, but also um, you've trained with him. How long ago was that? When were you guys working together? Mm, probably three or four years ago. It was before I was in the UFC. Okay. Um, was he a champion? He was – so the first time I went out to Alpha Male to go train with him uh, because me and Dwayne Ludwig used to train together a little bit. Um, Dwayne asked me to fly out and help him get ready for uh, the Barboza or – no, I'm Barrow. sorry, not Barboza. Barrow fight. Okay. Um, the first or second? The, the first one. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, so I was out there. I think I was still in college even. Um, I was still in college. I went out there, trained with him. And then uh, I think I went out there maybe another time. And then that's when he moved out here. Uh, and, yeah, we were training partners during that period of time. And then when Muscle Farm ended, uh, he went and did his thing in California and then still bounced here and there with Dwayne. And then uh, – and then, yeah, so it's probably been like three or four years since I've trained with them. So, so the alpha male guys in the past sometimes accused him of not being a good teammate, being a little too rough and, and whatnot. Did you have that experience with him? Uh, he trained rough. Um, I didn't mind it because I would just train rough back. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he, he trains rough. He's an intense guy. Um, I didn't mind training with him, though. I, I, I enjoyed training with him. Other than he's TJ Dillashaw, former bantamweight champion and a big name coming back from a suspension, it'll be a big deal when he comes back. Is there anything more to the call out or do you just feel like it's the fight that makes sense? Basically, is there a personal thing there? Because when you hear about training partners and then wanting to fight, there's sometimes another story there. Sure. No, I I have no uh, ill will towards TJ at all. Um, I I also don't have any bad feelings about calling him out either. You know, like I I don't feel like, oh, this he was my guy. Like we used to be training partners. I feel bad about this. Like this isn't the sport for chivalry and being like super polite and all of that, you know, like this is a sport of like, there's only one champion. And like, if you're not willing to, you know, fight some people that you used to train with or you used to be like a little bit close with, then 
that's not what we're doing here, you know? So, right. um, I, I don't have any ill will towards him. Uh, TJ was always kind to me. Uh, uh, he paid me to be a sparring partner back in the day, uh, which helped me because I, you know, when you're coming up in MMA, you don't make a lot of money. And I was always really appreciative towards TJ for that. And, uh, I don't have any ill will. Um, it's just a matter of TJ has probably a pretty strong argument when he gets back and, I, I would just want to eliminate any other argument other than me. You know, I want to be the number one guy that's next. Do you think he takes the fight? Because I think there's maybe a, a line of thinking, oh, you're a tough fight to come back to after two years off. But you could also say, oh, you beat Corey Sanhagen, you're right back in the mix. So do you think he takes it? Mm, I think he'd probably rather fight Frankie. But uh, maybe. I don't know. I guess we'll see. Do you have any inclination what they want to do with you? Like, did they like those callouts? Um, I, I haven't heard anything. I, I have a, a meeting with Lloyd later this week, so I'm, I'm sure that I'll figure out some stuff then. But uh, no, I, I kind of just been letting this one sink in a little bit. And then, uh, you know, I'll, I'll start worrying and thinking about next steps here when, when I've had when I've given my time to relax a little bit. Do you want to fight again this year? Or do you think you're done for 2020? Uh, I don't want to take too long off. I don't think this year will happen unless it's more of a uh, I'm filling in or, or being the replacement guy for Sterling and Jan if that gets booked. Um, I'll definitely be on my on my weight and stuff like that if, if they decide to do that or if that fight gets booked. But uh, no, I think January, February sounds good to me. And what a gift you gave Sterling, right? You eliminated all that <laughs> drama. Uh, I'm sure he was very, he was, he was arguably, you know, the other big winner on the night because now there's no Marlon. Um, so I don't know if he thanked you for that, but I think you did him a huge favor. Um, and what, you know, and if we can close with this, like what a year for you from January, you're supposed to fight Frankie that gets taken away from you, right? To, so that he can fight Korean zombie and then all that waiting and all that uncertainty and then the Sterling fight and we know what happened there and then to end potentially with this. What a, what a roller coaster of emotions 2020 has been in addition to everything the whole world has been dealing with just from your career. Sure. Uh, it wasn't easy, man. Like um, I was excited to fight Marlon, but uh, I, I knew that you know I was going to get counted out uh, it actually really, really surprised me that I was a favorite in that fight. But um, I, I think I, you know, the little doubter inside of me also wanted to count me out. And it, and it wanted to tell me that I, w I wasn't as good as I think I am and this and that. And uh, I wanted to shut that voice off in my head. And I wanted to shut the voice off inside of everyone else's head that um, I, I still am not a really skilled fighter. You know, like I know that I'm one of the best in the world. And bouncing back from that loss, which, like I said before, was pathetic in my opinion. Uh, and then performing the way that I did against Marlon was, was a huge deal to me. And, uh, and uh, I'm glad that I figured it out. And uh, I, I really think that I, I hit a next level, um, being able to uh, channel that, that kind of war mode that I, I can put myself in now. And uh, I think it's, you know, it, it made me even a bigger problem than I was before. So uh, I'm grateful for the loss. This time next year, October 2021, Corey Sanhagen, is he 135 champ, about to fight for the belt, has fought for the belt, nowhere near the belt? Where, where do you think you are exactly this time next year? I mean, if I fight TJ in January or February and I beat TJ the, know that, the way that I know that I can beat TJ, um, I mean, it's probably going to happen right after this Sterling Yon fight if they ever fight, you know? Uh, so, I mean, I could even see it as early as spring or summertime. Mm. Uh, I'm not going to ask you who you think is going to win between Sterling and Jan because I know you hate that question. But <laughs> hopefully, if that <laughs> unless you want to tell me, but uh, uh, you know, there's some talk of maybe that fight happening in December on the December 12th fight uh, fight card that lost its main event. So the timing could work out perfectly for you if you fight him in January and then you know you fight the winner by by uh, by springtime. You could be the champion of the UFC. Uh, yep. I, I uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I try not to get too like gung ho on like what I think my idea of a perfect route is because I'm wrong all the time about what's right for me. And uh, even when bad things happen, they usually turn out to be okay, like we've kind of seen. And uh, I'm okay with that, you know. So I, I'm I'm just gonna let the pieces fall where they want to fall, and uh, and and that's that. Well, uh, Chael was giving me a lot of crap saying that I'm. Uh, a charter member of the Corey Sanhagen <laughs> fan club. And then he uh, gave me a little bit of crap after uh, the Sterling fight. I'm glad that I can uh, 
prove <laughs> to him that it's worth being a member of the fan club because uh, I do think you are back on track to uh, you know being the man at 135. So congratulations to you, Corey. Tremendous win, a tremendous performance, a tremendous finish. Everything was tremendous about that week in Abu Dhabi for you. Looking forward to what's next. Thanks, as always, for the time. Yep, thanks a lot, Ariel. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, and now let us say hello to the talk of the mixed martial arts world. I have a feeling if you are watching this, you know this man very well by now. His name is Joaquin Buckley. He pulled off not only the knockout of 2020 as of right now, and I'd be shocked if it doesn't end up being the knockout of the year, but one of the greatest knockouts in the history of mixed martial arts. He pulled it off this past Saturday on Fight Island. Joaquin, congratulations on not only pulling that off, but everything that has come as a result of that. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, it's still a shock to me, you know what I mean, just how viral it went and just how fast it exploded, you know, through the MMA world and just the world period. Um, but, you know, in my eyes, you know, it's not one of the number one KOs, but, you know, I, I'm blessed to be put up in that category, though. Uh, and, and and it's just an amazing thing to see someone who, you know, was relatively unknown uh, just a few weeks ago. Now, you know, everyone talking about you being shared everywhere, millions of views. Uh, could you tell me, how and and maybe it hasn't just yet because it's fresh. How much has your life changed since pulling off that amazing knockout uh, on Saturday? I mean, besides my phone acting up all the time right now, <laughs> uh, my life is still the same uh, right now. Um, still got my regular job at Walgreens. I'm actually going back to work on Monday, funny enough. And uh, but my life's the same right now. You know, I'm sure it's going to change, in you know, a matter of probably months. Um, but right now, it's the same. So you work at Walgreens. What do you do there? Uh, I'm just a shift lead, just a regular shift lead there. Uh, so I run the night shift uh, there, and we uh, close around like midnight. So I'm pretty much the main person running it at night. And and you like the job? Yeah, I love it. Actually, uh, it's a good job. Uh-huh. <laughs> Is there a part of you that at some point wants to, you know, focus on your MMA training full time and not have another job? Uh, yes, sir. I mean, I think that time is coming up, but I was just being realistic, you know, with it, you know, uh, actually the years leading up to before, you know, me being signed with the UFC, whatever, I had to be, you know, very strategic on what I wanted to do with my life, you know, and, uh, I was just seeing that, you know, me having to settle down, me actually having to get a job, me having a, you know, brand new baby right now. Um, I didn't look in proceeding for MMA to be my main career. But now that this kick has happened or, you know, saying this uh, kick has went viral and stuff like this, now it's a possibility where, you know, mixed martial arts can be my main career and my main life. So even up until Saturday, you weren't sure if MMA would be your main career? Yeah, no, not at all. (laughs) Is it what what, was it that you weren't sure or that you didn't want it to be your main career? I I wasn't sure, for real. You know, uh, I know I had the talent. I know I had the gifts, but, you know. Like I said, only God makes things, uh, you know, possible for us, you know. So, you know, with everything leading up, you know, to that fight, whatever, you just unknown or what's going to happen. So, mm-hmm. you know, with that being said, you know, I just had to be realistic and, you know what I'm saying, and just had to think clear about what I really want to do with my life. And MMA is not always, you know, that biggest, you know, step. Mm-hmm. And you feel in your heart now that the kick has changed everything? It kind of has. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> you know, it, you know, it being viral everywhere right now. You know, and everybody knows my name, and you know, everybody wants to follow. Everybody wants to see me fight now. You know, and now I'm a product for the UFC instead of just being a, you know, expendable guy. If that makes sense. Everyone was commenting on it. It was shared everywhere. Was there one person in particular, a famous person, a celebrity who commented on you? Like, wow, this guy's commenting on my fight, on my kick. Was there one moment there where you were like, this is nuts? Um, I mean, I mean, Israel Asanya, you know, DC, um, Nate Diaz. I mean, all of them, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I can't do nothing but just have, you know, um, respect and just, you know, just be honored that these guys even mentioned me, you know what I'm saying? And, and was able just to take the time out just to comment on the fight, you know what I mean? Or comment on the knockout. 
so, but it's too many names to list, even just random folks, you know what I mean? Just, I'm so appreciative, you know what I'm for the moment that was given to me. Now, before I actually ask you about the kick, um, my understanding is, um, and correct me if I don't have this 100% correct, uh, prior to this fight, did you give someone a $100 tip uh, over, uh, I think, on, on Uber? Is that? Is that? Yeah, yeah, some Uber Eats. Um, it was actually just the only $100 bill that I had um, at the time. I wanted to give him a tip, but, like, I didn't really want to give him $100, but it was the only thing I had. But I kind of thought about it, like, bro, I'm about to be in the UFC. I'm fighting Kevin Holland. Like, I'm blessed to be in this opportunity, so I just gave it to the guy just just for good feels, you know, for myself. Yeah. And uh, I think that guy reached out to your, your manager, Brian Butler, uh, to let him know he didn't even know that you did that. And, and just another example of, you know, doing good for others and, and good will come your way. So it's incredible to see all this. And I see you uh, as a proud father now. Who's this little guy in your, in your arms? Uh, this little guy named uh, Isaiah, Isaiah Buckley. Mm-hmm. And, and I also know, and congratulations on being a dad. Um, and I know how exciting that could be. I, I noticed on your Instagram, you said, uh, Isaiah will never see you lose. Yeah, uh, I plan on keeping that promise. <laughs> that, that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself. Not at all. <laughs> no? no? From here on out, you will never lose. Uh, yes, sir. I really believe so, you know, and definitely now that I have it. Well, think about all I've done with the less tools that I have. Now I have all the um, the tools and resources in, on the planet to go to different camps and to go to talk to different coaches and and train with different people around the world, you know what I mean, to en- enhance my skill sets even further. And I did, you know, so much with so little. So just imagine what I have now, you know. Do you plan on going anywhere else to train for fights? Uh, Definitely, yes, sir. I, I do plan on going some- a couple places. Yes, sir. Anywhere in particular that you want to share? Uh, Definitely uh, in Michigan, Lansing with uh, Joaquin Marcelago. That's for sure a number one spot that I'm heading to first. Well, when I think of St. Louis MMA, I think of Tyron Woodley. Have you ever trained with him? <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> Why do you laugh? I, I have tried a couple of and, times. What? And Tyron didn't open the doors for you? No, sir. But it's all good. No, What's I, up with that? You got to talk to him. <laughs> you what? Yeah. Oh, hey. Now, now that he's going to come calling, you don't pick up that phone, right? I mean, <laughs> sorry, Tyron. The, the ship has sailed, correct? No, nah, not at all. I mean, oh, I, okay. I still got to give my man respect. You know what I mean? He's still St. Louis. Uh, native, you know what I mean, and a uh, world champion. So, nah. So, so you've tried, and and what happened? It just denied. <laughs> Man, I'm sorry. It's all good. <laughs> but but if he calls you now, you'd be open to it. Yes, sir. I would be. Yep. You don't hold grudges. Nah. Why not? Yeah. Why would I? It, it doesn't make any sense. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Love stories like that where you have a young man whose life completely changes, that he makes more money in one night than he's made in his entire career combined. That's just great stuff. By the way, if you want to hear the entire interview with Joaquin Buckley, go to the ESPN MMA YouTube channel right now. I also have a new interview up with the Korean Zombie and uh, a special treat for longtime MMA Hour listeners up there as well. Uh, we've got uh, we've got a guest up there who uh, a lot of you have asked to hear from in the past, who's been a part of the show in the past, one of our all-time favorite guests. So that will be up on Wednesday night. Go check that out on the ESPN MMA YouTube channel. So thank you very much to Dustin Poirier. Thank you very much to Corey Sanhagen. Thank you very much to Joaquin Buckley, Korean Zombie as well. And I want to remind you that we've got another crazy week ahead in the world of combat sports. On Thursday, we have Bellator 249. Chris Cyborg is back defending her featherweight title for the very first time against Australia's Arlene Blankow. She's 13-7, and but she's on a bit of a roll, has won the last three fights in a row for her. So uh, that is worth checking out on Thursday. Ricky Bandejas, uh, Patricky Pitbull on the card as well. So check that out on Thursday. Uh, we've got one championship on Friday. We've got a little LFA action as well. And then Saturday is a big one, my friends. On Saturday, beginning at 4 p.m. 
Eastern time on ESPN plus you got the beginning, the prelims of the Korean zombie versus Brian Ortega card. Tremendous, right? 4 PM Eastern on ESPN plus 7 PM Eastern also on ESPN plus it's the main card, Korean zombie, Brian Ortega, a feud, a year in the making, a feud that exploded back in March after my interview with Korean Zombie, which was translated by the legend himself, Jay Park. Ortega didn't like the translation. Saw him at the Romero-Izzy fight in Las Vegas, the last event, by the way, with fans in attendance. Waits for the Korean Zombie, allegedly, to go to the bathroom and then walks up to Jay Park and slaps him. Remember that? That actually was our last day. In studio, the Monday after that event, talking to Jay Park, our last day in the Bristol studio. Everything changed after that, not because of that slap, but uh, just kind of crazy. So we finally get the culmination to that fight. Also, Caitlin Chukagian versus Jessica Andrade. But really, uh, that fight is massive. I think that if the Korean Zombie wins, he is next in line for a title shot. Ortega might be as well, but uh, certainly for the Korean Zombie, a big fight. And for Ortega, uh, his first fight in almost two years. So a chance for him to get back on track after that loss to Max Holloway, which feels like it happened 51 years ago. And then after that, we've got one of the best boxing matches of the year. Let's be honest. Since coming back, boxing has put together a lot of one-sided fights. Not a lot of big-time fights. We obviously had Fury and Wilder back in February. Also feels like it happened 10 years ago. But this, to me, is the second biggest fight of 2020 and just as interesting as Fury Wilder it's Vasily Lomachenko going up against Teofimo Lopez a massive fight Lomachenko is incredible Lopez is incredible they're putting it together and the best part is it is free it's on big ESPN it's on big ESPN you don't have to have an ESPN plus subscription you don't have to pay for it on pay-per-view it is free on cable television this is big time stuff so stick around ESPN has you covered from basically 4 p.m. Eastern on Saturday all the way until the end of the Lomachenko-Lopez fight. All right? Can't wait for it all. We'll talk about it all, of course, on Monday with DC. For now, though, if you love the stuff that we're doing here, do me a favor. All I'm asking from you is to rate, download, subscribe, and review. That's it. That's all I'm asking. I don't ask you to pay. I don't ask you for anything else. Rate, download, subscribe, review. On the feed, Apple, Spotify, you know the joints. Just do, just do the, just do the right to download, subscribe, and review for me, please. All right, cool. Enjoy the fights. Thanks to all of you. Thanks for listening. I love you all. Back next week, same time and place. Until then, say peace. I'm out of here.